Well, good morning, Grace Commons. So great to be with you all in person and online. My name is Kelsey Walega. I have the privilege of serving here as the Assistant Director of University Ministry. And also they let me preach sometimes, uh, which is really great, thank you. Uh, Y'all have always been so kind. Uh, just so you know, so that you're not alarmed during the sermon, uh, like 20, 30 minutes ago, I got a nosebleed. So my sweet and supportive husband is up here with a tissue ready to go in case it happens again, uh, but hopefully it won't. So nosebleed or not, uh, today we are continuing our series uh, called In the Wilderness that Carl kicked off for us last week. And like Carl said, the wilderness is a pretty big theme that we see throughout scripture. And it's a really great way to describe this last year we found ourselves in where a lot of things in our lives have been upended in some way. And in scripture, the Israelites find themselves in the wilderness for quite some time before they reach the promised land. And Jesus even found himself in the wilderness being tempted and tested by Satan before his ministry on earth began. And the wilderness in scripture is this place where God's people are stripped down to only what they need. They are being tempted, they are being tested, and they are being grown in some way for something that God has for them in the future. The wilderness is not an experience that is wasted. Rather, God uses it for our own good and his own glory. There is a purpose behind it. And what Carl noted last week and what we'll see in today's passage that Joe has already read for us is that the wilderness can be a bit disorienting. It can even be downright scary because we see how little control we actually have. I don't know if any of you can relate to that in the last year of how little control you realize that you have. But even when we find ourselves in the wilderness where we don't know what's going on, we don't know what to do, what's happening, where to go, or even what the end goal of this wilderness experience will be, God is always present with us. God is leading us, God is guiding us, and he will not leave us. So let's pray and then see what God will reveal to us about his presence this morning. Lord, uh, thank you that you have brought us here this morning to worship and learn together. Lord, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that we would learn more about your presence and your witness and how you lead us and guide us and will not leave us. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning and say only what it is you have for us. And it is in your holy, in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to lie to you all, so I won't. I was really hoping that I could tie in Alabama football to all of the sermons that I preached. It would be a big stretch for me to do that today, uh, but thankfully I have quite a bit of wilderness experience. Unlike Carl and Rupali, uh, my husband Cody and I really do love camping. We love any excuse to be outside. And in fact, I actually worked for a camp for a number of years before I moved to Boulder and started working at Grace Commons. I worked for a Christian sports and mountain adventure camp in Estes Park called Camp Timberline. Many of you may have heard of it if you've sent your fishy students there. And before I was a director at this camp, I was a camp counselor. And one day a week at Camp Timberline is called Hike Day. It's a day where the counselors take their cabin of campers on a hike in Rocky Mountain National Park. And Hike Day was the absolute worst day of the week because 
the counselors, we were responsible for 12 to 15 tiny humans on a hike. And although small, they had a large store and well of complaints that I believe they had been storing up for the whole year leading up to this one hike. They complained about everything. They were tired. They were hungry. Their head hurt. When are we going to get there? How much longer will it take? Will we be walking for the rest of our lives? She's looking at me weird. She touched me. I have to pee and just on and on and on all day. And as counselors, we knew that this day would come to an end. And praise the Lord when the day did finally come to an end. But even more than that, we as counselors, we knew the trail we were going to take. We knew about how many miles it would take, around how long it would take. We even knew that the camp van would be at the trailhead when we were done hiking to take us back to camp. We even had snacks and extra water and made sure that everyone had packed their sack lunch. That somehow, inevitably, someone would lose or misplace their sack lunch. And to this day, wherever the dryer socks in the universe go, I think that's where these sack lunches have ended up. There's no explanation other than that. My point here is that as counselors, we were fully in control. We were the guides of these campers. And over the years, I've developed some compassion for these campers on hike day because we were in control. And they weren't. We knew the destination, and they did not. We knew how long it would take and that it would indeed end, and they were not so certain. We knew we had enough water. We knew we had enough food. We knew we had accounted for everyone's allergies. We knew that everyone would be okay as long as they stayed with us. We knew they would be okay because they were with us. We would lead them, guide them, and we would always be with them. We would not abandon them in the wilderness, mostly because we would lose our job, but also because we loved and cared for them. We would not abandon them. And over the years, I've realized that in some ways, these campers were acting pretty similar to the Israelites during their wilderness journey after their time of slavery in Egypt. What we'll see in today's passage is that the Israelites have no control over the situation that they have just found themselves in. They are in unknown territory. They're a bit disoriented. The only thing they have to go on is the so-called promised land and the presence of God with them. They don't know how long this journey is going to take. They don't know the road they're going to take. They don't know exactly where they're going. They don't even know what the promised land looks like at this point. And the question that will continue to present itself to the Israelites is, do they trust the leading presence of God in the wilderness? And do they actually trust that this presence of God will never leave them and will never abandon them? And I actually think that these same questions present themselves to us thousands of years later, especially in a year like 2021 that's also turned into 20 or 2020 into 2021, a year where we found out how little control we actually have. Do we trust that the presence of the Lord will never leave us? And that even in moments and situations where we are disoriented and out of control, do we believe that the presence of God is still leading us, guiding us, and will never leave us? So let's take another look at Exodus 13, 
verses 17 to 22 and see what more we can learn about the presence of God. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people so let's put ourselves in the israelite shoes for a moment or sandals whatever footwear they wore the israelites have been in egypt enslaved in egypt for 430 years which means that this group of Israelites, the only experience that they have had is life in Egypt as a slave. They've never been outside of that life experience. They've, that's all they've ever known. I can't imagine that Pharaoh let them have vacation time where they could venture outside of Egypt. They have only known slavery in Egypt. But now they find themselves having been rescued by God out of slavery in Egypt, and now they're standing on the edge of a desert, of the wilderness. And I would imagine that they feel a little bit disoriented. They're not quite sure what exactly is going on. They're not quite sure what to do. They're not quite sure how long this journey is going to take, and they're not quite sure where it is exactly they're going. They know it's the promised land, but they have no idea what that exactly looks like. And here's what God didn't do, that he very well could have done. He didn't say, all right, well, Israelites, it's been a real pleasure, really happy that I could uh, release you from slavery in Egypt. Here's what y'all are going to want to do. You're just going to want to head just due east. Just keep walking. You'll know it. You'll know when you see it. Just keep walking, and you'll get there eventually. I wish you all the best of luck. He also didn't, as they're leaving slavery, entering the wilderness, he wasn't handing out packets to the Israelites. You know, packets that would include something like a map, maybe an itinerary would have been helpful, a list of things to expect, a packing list. He didn't do that either. The Israelites have no control here. But also, God didn't leave them in the dust. He didn't rescue them from slavery and then say, well, good luck, everyone. God would lead them, and he would guide them, and he would not leave them. In fact, he's the one calling the shots here. He said, actually, if we take this short road, they might lose heart, and they're actually, they might think that slavery in Egypt is better than this battle, so we're going to take this other route. And there's a map of it here. If you're at home, you might be able to see it better. I don't know who chose orange arrows with a yellow background, but here we are. 
The orange arrows up at the top, that would have been the straight shot across from slavery to the promised land. Scholars think that that might have been around an 11-day journey. And then those purple arrows that sort of head south and then wind a little bit, that's the path that they actually took that scholars think would have taken around two years. And what we know now is it looked a little more like 40 years that the Israelites were in this wilderness. The point is that God was leading them. God was guiding them. God knew what they were able to handle, and God knew that they still had some work to do in preparation of the Israelites learning how to trust and follow the leading presence of God. And then there's this also, this incredible phenomenon of God's presence being manifested as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And artists have tried to capture what this could have looked like, which is incredible. No matter what it looked like, what? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night was before the Israelites always. The presence of God was leading the Israelites, guiding the Israelites, and never left or abandoned the Israelites. They might have felt out of control. They might have been disoriented. They might not have always known fully what was going on, but God never abandoned them in the wilderness. So do you believe that the same presence is leading you and guiding you always? That this isn't an isolated instance in scripture with the Israelites or even just the Israelites in the wilderness. But do you believe that God is always with you? Do you believe this isn't something that happened thousands of years ago but is a daily reality of your life as a follower of Jesus? And this week as I was studying and preparing for the sermon, I took a little bit of a rabbit trail uh, in looking for instances in scripture where it mentions God being with his people. And I didn't count this, others have counted this, but there are 114 mentions in the Old Testament of God being with his people. And that's not even including the language of God being amongst his people, amidst his people, or before his people. Just specifically, God being with his people. One of the main things that sets God's people apart from others is that this God is with his people. This God isn't somewhere far off doing whatever he wants. He doesn't just send us on our way with best wishes. This God is present. And one commentator noted that when Israel's narrators, leaders, prophets proclaim again and again, God is with us, they reassert their central identity as God's people. Being God's people means that part of our identity as his people is that God is with us. Who God is is a God that is present, and who we are, we are a people whose God is present with us. This is a daily reality of our lives. So it's no mistake that this witness or this presence of God is continued in the New Testament in the life and ministry of Jesus. 
In Matthew 1.23, we read that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew wants to make it clear to his readers, and especially his Jewish audience at the time, that the God of Israel that has been with his people, that God will continue to be with his people through the life and ministry of Jesus. This presence and witness of God is not an isolated incident to the people of Israel or just in their wilderness experience. The presence of God will continue to be a reality for God's people because of Jesus. And Matthew ends his gospel in a way that is familiar to many of us, but is also a continual reminder of the witness and the presence of God. We're going to take a look at Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, famously known as the Great Commission. And don't miss this last line that Jesus says to his disciples. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's a lot we could talk about from these verses and their implications, but for this morning, I just want to focus on this presence that Jesus is promising to his disciples. For years, these guys have been following Jesus. They have been listening to his teachings. They've seen him heal blind men, heal lepers, raise people from the dead. They've seen Jesus sit down and eat a meal with tax collectors and sinners. They've seen him go toe-to-toe with the religious establishment and leaders of the day. They even called him Messiah and believed that he was sent by God to be king. And then he died. And over the last few days, I would imagine that the disciples have been seriously doubting their life choices in following Jesus. Because Jesus was crucified. He was dead. And the disciples scattered. They were struggling to believe that Jesus really was who he says he was because it didn't make sense that he had to die. So we might say that the disciples right now are in a bit of a wilderness experience. They are a bit disoriented, maybe a bit scared, and they aren't entirely sure what's going on or what to do or what is going to happen next. But alas, Jesus rose after three days, and then he went and met his disciples on a mountain. And Jesus gives his disciples some tall orders by asking them to go and now make disciples of all people, baptize them, teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. Jesus is basically saying, the same thing I've been doing that I was killed for, I would like for you all to now carry out this mission and this ministry, which means you might also die. Jesus is sending his closest friends, his disciples, into enemy territory, to places where they will be persecuted, hunted. Some of them will ultimately be 
killed for this message that they are proclaiming. And despite that terrifying reality, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. No matter what is thrown the disciples' way, Jesus says, I am with you always. Jesus doesn't promise them that it will be easy. Jesus doesn't promise that they will get everything that they want or even desire. Jesus only promises that he will be with them to the very end of the age. And we'll see in the weeks to come that things uh, will not always be easy for the Israelites. We're basically on day one of their wilderness journey. They are going to find ways to complain about literally everything, just like a camper on hike day. But no matter what, God remains with them. He does not leave them. He does not abandon them. And I would imagine that starting this new movement of the good news of Jesus, this figurative wilderness that the disciples have found themselves in, was not easy. But Jesus was with them. And no matter how difficult things become for us, God is with us. That just is who he is. So do you believe, again I'll ask, that the witness, the presence of God is more than just a reality found in the pages of scripture with the Israelites in the wilderness or the disciples after Jesus left this earth? Or do you believe that the presence and the witness of God is leading you, guiding you, and with you always, no matter what life has thrown your way? The wilderness is rough. It's unfamiliar, it is unknown territory, it's uncomfortable. So many things are uncertain and literally anything could happen at any point in time. And I think we could all agree here that it is certainly more comfortable to not be in the wilderness, whether literal or figurative, it is more comfortable to not be in the wilderness because it's more familiar, it's safer, we have our bearings, we know what's gonna happen. The only thing that is certain in the wilderness, and that we can be sure of, though, is that God is with us. And over the last year, but really more specifically the past few months for me, I've found myself in a bit of a wilderness. There are so many unknown things and uncertainties in my life that I don't actually know what to do or where to go or what the end of this wilderness will be. The best way that I've been able to describe it to people is that I just feel a bit stuck. I feel stuck. I just don't know what to do or where to go. And I feel stuck because it seems like Cody and I have some big decisions coming up for us, and we don't know (laughs) what always is right. It sort of feels like we're just waiting on God for some guidance or maybe even a green light. For instance, Cody and I have been talking about starting our family which is really exciting, but it also brings up so many questions and so many uncertainties about that process. Like, will this be a long and hard and arduous journey that we're about to enter? Will we even be able to have kids? Will it happen immediately? If it doesn't happen, do we adopt? Do we foster? I don't know. And God is with me, and God is with us, and he is leading us, and he is guiding us. 
We've also been wondering where should we live? Currently, we live in Lafayette at his in-laws, or my in-laws, his parents' rental. And we're wondering, do we stay in Lafayette? Cody works in Denver. Should we move to Denver? Should we live somewhere else in Colorado? While we're thinking about it, should we think about living outside of Colorado where it's actually more affordable to buy a house? I don't know. And God is with us, and he is leading us, and he is guiding us. And a joke I make a lot with college students is that I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, and I make this joke because I want them to know they don't have to determine their whole life when they're 21 years old, but it's true. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I love my job now. It's great. I love ministering to college students, but I also don't anticipate that I'll be in this job for the next 30 years of my life. Which brings up the question, well, will I continue to work for a church? This church? Another church? A church at all? If I don't work for a church, where will I work? When we have kids, will I work? I don't know. And God is with us, and he is leading us, and he is guiding us. And maybe for you, you lost a job over the last year. And you're really struggling and wondering what to do and what job to take next, or maybe even how to just pay the bills this month. And you don't know what to do or what to think or what's next. And that's really hard. And God is with you, and he is leading you, and he is guiding you. Or maybe a relationship ended that you, and you really thought this was going to be the person you married. Or maybe it just was a friendship that out of nowhere just dissolved. Or maybe you lost a loved one or someone really close to you this year. And again, you're not sure what to do or what to think or what's next. And that's so hard. And God is with you. And he is leading you. And he is guiding you. And he will not abandon you. Maybe that addiction came back. You, you fought hard for it not to. But here you are again, and you're not actually sure what to do this time around. Again, that is hard. And God is with you, and he is leading you, and he is guiding you, and he will not abandon you. So much has been hard about this last year. Heck, so much is just hard about being a human and living life this side of heaven. It's hard. There is suffering, there is pain, there is loss. But God is leading us. He is guiding us. He has not forgotten about us. He has not abandoned us. And his presence is with us always. And I don't have all of the answers to why there's so much pain, to why there's so much suffering. I can't explain away the pandemic or why life hurts so much sometimes. All I know is that amidst all of it, God is with us, he is leading us, he is guiding us, and he will not leave or abandon us. So in whatever situation or circumstance you find yourselves in this morning, do you trust that God is with you, that he is leading you, guiding you, and will never leave you? that the presence of God is actually a daily reality 
of your life of following Jesus. It is part of your identity as his child. So let's pray and then continue in worship together. Lord, uh, we are really grateful uh, that you are with us always. No matter how much we uh, buck up against you, no matter how much we complain, uh, no matter even if we walk away from you, you are with us. You are leading us. You are guiding us. You will not abandon us. So Lord, thank you that you are a God that stays with his people. A God that we can trust, a God that we can follow. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.